Everybody's fighting a battle. The rich, the poor, the successful, the unsuccessful, the popular, the not popular, everyone's fighting a battle. When you're at your darkest and it's tough, and you're, you know, the reality is if you find yourself by yourself, there's a reason that you're by yourself. It's because it's time for you to tap into your character and you find out really quick what you're made of. Welcome to A Better Life with Brandon Turner. That is me, where world-class guests share their wisdom on building a better life. Join me as we explore the habits, the actions, and the beliefs that have guided their journey with the aim of helping you apply those lessons to your own. We Simon Keith, welcome to A Better Life. How are you Thank doing? you. I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm living a better life too, by the way. Good. That's awesome. I've, yeah. I've heard amazing things, but <laughs> we have not connected before today, so I'm excited to kind of dig into your story. Uh, your, your legend is what, uh, is what I know. So why don't we start uh, early on? So I know you. I'll tell you what I do know about you. I know you're a business coach leader today. I know you teach a lot of business people how to thrive. We'll get into that. Yeah. Uh, you are, when I, when I get this right, a member of the Order of Canada, which is one of Canada's highest honors. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. That gonna, is correct. We can dig into what that is later and yeah. why you got that. You're also what I, what you're, I don't know, call it claim to fame, but you were the first person to play professional sports after a heart transplant. That's right. That's correct. And you do a lot of work I don't know if that's a claim to fame. Yeah, I don't know if it's a claim to fame. That happened to me. <laughs> a claim to infamame? Yeah, I don't yeah, know, is something. That uh, it's wild. And I know you do a lot of work with the organ donation stuff today. Yeah. And I would love to dig into that because I don't know anything about that world. Cool. And so yeah, that's awesome. why we're having you on is to yeah. learn more about you. So with that said, that's who you are today. But who were you before all of that? Yeah, interesting. So um, I'm the third of, of three boys okay. in a very athletic household, alpha al- a household. And I was the youngest, the smallest, and in my mind, the forgotten one, mm. quiet sitting in the corner. Yeah, the run to the family. Yeah. I mean, my dad, super high-functioning coach, coached the, the national team for Canada. Oh, wow. My oldest brother played for the Olympic soccer team for Canada. My middle brother, the one that's right next to me, an absolute phenom athlete. And our sport was soccer. And then w- there was me, the run to the litter, who did everything in his power to keep up. And yeah. most times didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what was that? What was that like growing up in that kind of household? I mean, like, was it? I don't want to call it like competitive, maybe. Uh, Super competitive. Parents yeah. pushed you a lot to to excel. Yeah, I, I don't think they pushed us. I think we just just who we were. Yeah. And what it did was because I was so. I mean, I'm only a year younger than my next brother up, mm. who was a phenom. So because I was so far behind in everything I felt like all the time, right? It was, a, you have no idea, right? It's so frustrating day after day, year after year after year during your formative years. It was an incredible gift to me yeah. because it built an engine inside of me that to this day, just, just I just have to win. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm, it's wow. weird. Yeah, yeah. All right. So grew up there. And I, you didn't grow up... I mean, you grew up in Canada, correct? I grew up in Canada. Uh, but you weren't born there. I was born in England, raised in Western Canada. Yeah, my, my dad emigrated. And actually, funny enough, he made a deal. He was 26 years old with three kids. Mm. He had no money. And he made a deal. There was a program with the Canadian government. You can trade passage on a boat if you agree to co- uh, uh, teach. He was a school teacher. If you would teach in a remote location for two years. Really? And he found himself in a place called Lestock, Saskatchewan that has the same population today as it did then, a whopping 95 people. Wow. So he had only, he only made one decision, and how do I make a better life for my kids? Mm. And that was his commitment. And so he did that, served his two years, and then we moved out to the West Coast, and he raised us, and 
he's the guy who changed his family's life. Yeah. It was awesome. Do you have kids? I got three kids. What did you learn from your father that made you a better father? My dad was strategically quiet, so may have said 500 words to me my entire young mm-hmm. life, so they were very impactful. He was old school love, so didn't say the word love, didn't hug, didn't, wasn't outwardly loving. So I learned not to do that, and not in a bad way. I, I love my pops. He did a good job. I tell my kids every day I love them, and I hug them, and I kiss them, and I cherish them. And so I learned that. I learned that, yeah. Mm, awesome, man. Yeah. Well, let's go through. You got, let's talk the, the soccer. You got into soccer at a young age then. Yeah. And got very good, I'm assuming, in order to get into the, the pros. Walk us through that journey. How'd you get into there? So, yeah. So, as I said, run to the litter and um, started to get a little bit better at 16. I figured out that being the fourth best player in our household <laughs> actually wasn't so bad. Yeah. So, once I started, you know, I started getting on the, you know, the so, typical path, right? City all star team and then provincial all star team and then. When I was 16, I got called to the Canadian National Youth Team under 19. So that was sort of on my way. Uh, When I graduated from high school, I had a choice. Uh, Do I go the college university route or was I able to go and, you know, play professionally? In our house, when we had big decisions like that, we would sit as a family at the kitchen table and we'd just chat about things. And it was really the first time that my, my, you know, I was on the table with a real topic. So it was cool. So I think my dad in his sort of silent way kind of said, I don't know if you're sort of ready to go play pro, which Mm. was reverse psychology clearly. (laughs) So I packed my bags, 17 years old, moved to London, England, tried out for two or three teams, finally got signed by a team called Millwall and spent a couple of years over there playing professionally. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Against all the teams that maybe you don't know because you're not a big 40 fan, but Chelsea and Arsenal and, you know, fill in the blanks, right? Yeah. 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 So when, when did the, the, was it heart issue? It was heart issue, When did yeah. that start making itself known? Yeah. So I, for some reason, I made a decision to move back to Canada. I played in London for a couple of years and Canada was getting ready for the World Cup of Soccer. Biggest sporting event on the planet by a long shot, especially in, in, our, in the house I grew up in, yeah, right? And so I moved back to Canada to train and live with the World Cup team. Played on the Canadian national team. We're going to live as a team. There's no professional leagues in North America. So that's what we did. It was during that time that I just started to get sick. And I just started to lose energy and was very fatigued. And, you know, I was a alpha, ultra competitive, step on your neck if I need to, to, to win. And I just wasn't myself. And so it took about 18 months. We went in and out of hospitals and in and out of doctors. And eventually cardiologists came to me sort of three months before the World Cup, and I'd been fighting. I'd been fighting in the hospital, out of the hospital. I would spend three days in the hospital and then get out and go rejoin the team and play footy at a world-class level and grind it out and then find myself back in the hospital. And so eventually the cardiologist looked at me and said, listen, you're, you're, we've done everything we can. We know exactly what it is now, and you need a heart transplant mm-hmm. or you're going to be dead in six months. Wow. Yeah. How, what was going through your head in that point? I was on my way to the World Cup. So I'm thinking to myself, well, the World Cup's in three months, so I could probably play the World Cup. And then <laughs> that's not how it worked out. Mm. But, you know, you're, um, it's a little bit like the movies where, where sound stops and mm. you sort of raise above yourself and, you, it's, and it's just everything sort of slow motion. You can't move your hand. And, and it was like that for, I would guess, maybe an hour or two. And then I returned. And then the athlete returned and rose up and sort of said, let's go. How do we get it? Let's go get it. Let's go get it now so I can resume my life, so I can continue my career. That's the mentality, right? 
Uh, do you have any advice for people? I mean, a lot of people listening to the show will either at some point get that diagnosis of some kind, right? Yep. Or a loved one of theirs will. I mean, I would say the majority of people listening to the show will eventually themselves or a very close loved one get that. What advice do you have having gone through that? Yeah, we, we listen, what I've learned over the past, you know, 30 whatever years since I've had my first transplant is everybody's fighting a battle. The rich, the poor, the successful, the unsuccessful, the popular, the not popular, everyone's fighting a battle. When you're at your darkest and it's tough and you're, you know, the reality is if you find yourself by yourself, there's a reason that you're by yourself is because it's time for you to tap into your character and you find out really quick what you're made of. Mm. And it's super powerful when you're at the very bottom and you're struggling and it's just you. It's an incredible gift. It really is an incredible gift to be in that tough spot. Wow. Yeah. Wow, man. All right, so. Sorry, too heavy, man. No, I love I love it, man. I love it. Because it, the fact is that is life. I mean, like as much as we want to avoid it and we want to assume that we're all going to live forever, which we all kind of in kind of all act like we're going to live forever, that day hits every single solitary person. Yep. Whether it's at 30 years old or 102. That's right. It's coming for all of us. Like no one, I love that, that idea of like, you know, life, no one gets out alive. Right. It's like, you're like this That's is, right. Yeah, like no, no one gets out alive. So yeah, so it's real life. So were you, was there concern you weren't going to get the transplant? Was this like oh, yeah, rare? Like you got... Yeah, totally. So it's 1986 was when I had my transplant. I was 21 years old at the time. Mm. I was in Canada. And so they only did... Tra- it's just, uh, I mean, almost just past the experimental phase, yeah. right? Like just 83 was really the tipping point in transplantation. It was in Canada and I went to London, Ontario. It was the only place they did transplants back then or heart transplants in Canada. They take you through a whole list of stuff, right? Like physical te- uh, physical evaluations and psychological evaluations and all this kind of stuff. And so I had been on this medication that um, sort of kept me healthy and juiced me up a little bit. And so I, I got to London, Ontario, did all these tests, these psychological t- tests and all this stuff. And the final test was the treadmill test. And unbeknownst to the people in London, Ontario, I'd been doing the treadmill test every Friday with the national team because to train for the altitude in Mexico City, mm. We would put the tubes around us and deprive ourselves of oxygen and, and do the VO2 max and run as long as we can. So I was very comfortable on a treadmill, but still sick. You know, my heart's working at maybe 20% of its capacity, which is called an ejection wow. fraction. But, you know, young, dumb athlete, right? Like I can run through the wall, so let's go. So I get, in, I get into London, Ontario, I get on the treadmill. And um, most people, general people run 12, or, you know, walk and then have to run at the end, 12 minutes, 15 minutes, maybe 17 minutes, maybe 21 minutes at the max. And um, I crushed it that day, 35 minutes. I ran seven miles and dripping sweat. And I get off the treadmill and a doctor walks in because you're just with the technician. Doctor walks in and said, I have no idea who sent you here. I've never seen anybody do what you've just done. (laughs) There's no way you need a heart transplant. There's no way you're getting a heart transplant. And then he gave me the sage advice of a socialized medicine system. And he said, go home, get sicker, and come back. Mm. Mm. And that is the that is the problem with the socialized medicine. medicine. It, it can be. Mm. So so imagine, right? I mean, you could you can figure out already from me that that's not going to fly, right? Sure. In our family, super competitive. So uh, we sort of looked around, and um, me being born in England was an advantage. So we went back to England in pursuit of a solution, not necessarily a transplant, a solution. Um, and I made the decision quietly in my own bedroom and bathroom. And I said, I'm not taking these pills anymore. Mm. And if I go to England, they're going to see the real sick Simon Keith, not 
this jacked up yeah. medicine induced Simon key. So that's what I did. And, um, I learned very quickly I needed the medicine to stay alive. And so mm -hmm. I, I took a dip pretty mm -hmm. bad. And then it's a, it's just a waiting game. I got evaluated. I got in the program in, in England and they give you a beeper. You may be too young to know what a yeah. beeper is. But, <laughs> I remember beeper. You know, very but they give early. they give you a beeper, right? Yep. And the, and they say and the the doctor says when this thing goes off, we got your heart for you. Wow. And you're just like, I mean, you've been to Applebee's and you have to wait outside, yeah, and, the, yeah, and yeah. the hostess gives you that thing, you're right? Very excited for your dinner when that. And thing you're beeps. just waiting for yeah. it, and then you're with your wife, and you're standing outside, and your wife says, "Go check to make sure this." Yes. Is, oh yes. We've all been there. Yep. So, anyways. Where so, were you when you got the beep? Do you remember? When you got the page? I was out of it. I was been in hospital for the last three weeks on life support. Really? Yeah, I was out of it. Wow, like saved by the beep. Saved by the <laughs> That's beep. That's the name of this episode. Saved, saved by, by the by beep. The beep. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. All right. So they, they do the transplant. Yeah. They yeah. do the transplant. Did you do you know who like who donated the I do the now. Heart? I do now. They back in the eighties and the nineties, they didn't want to pair people together. Okay. Now they do. You see it on social media and yeah, there's this yeah. emotional, you know, reunion. But back then it was very respectful not to meet. Okay. So you let the, the donor family uh, grieve and, yep. and be respectful. So I knew a little bit, but not enough. So I didn't actually go meet them until 2011, 25 years later. Really? But that's a whole different story. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe we'll get to that in a little bit. But... Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, and I'm assuming it worked because <laughs> you're here. Transplants generally, heart transplants, the data su su suggests, not the data suggests, the data shows that the average length of a transplant, a heart transplanted heart is about eight years. Really? Yeah. Wow. I didn't realize that. So it's not even necessarily a, you're saved for the rest of your life. Nope. You're trading one disease for another. Really? Yeah. What doesn't work about it? Like the, the body just rejected over time? Well, your, your immune system goes nuts, right? So you got to take immunosuppressions for the rest of your life, okay. which means that you got to reduce the part of the immune system that will go and attack the foreign organ, yep. but you can't reduce it so much that you die from pneumonia and yeah. colds and all that kind of stuff. So there's that balance, but it comes with a whole bunch of other stuff. Not to exaggerate, because uh, that's not really who I am, but um, I mean, I've had hundreds of surgeries Really? Oh yeah, I've had fifteen pacemakers in my life. I've had, really? I've had my heart restarted three times. I've had. I mean, it just goes on and on and on, you know. And angiograms and heart biopsies and it just goes on and on. So it's sort of this thing that you got to manage all the time. It's not like okay, you're you're mm. it's solved. You can go now. It's is not that like still that. true today. Like has technology gotten better? So now it's 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 not like that, or is it all still like that? Today? Significantly better, but it's still like that. You're messing with the core, yeah. you know, the core, the, the molecular structure of your body, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's wild just in, I mean, imagine any other time in human history telling people, yeah, we can take your heart out of this person and put it in the, that person. And it's going to work. And it's going to work. It's, it's just completely mind-blowing that we can do that. Now, today we kind of take it for granted, like, oh yeah, that's just what we do with a heart transplant. But that is insane that we have figured that out. Well, it's funny you say that, Brandon, because think about being 21 mm and about to be rolled into the operating room and they're going to take your heart out of your chest. Yeah. There's not much more in life that's going to scare you. Mm. You get it, it's again, it's another incredible gift, right? Yeah. There's not much in this world that's going to shake me. I'm like, I'm yeah, okay, I'm good. We're we're fine. We're cool. Were you afraid of dying and not coming out of it? No. Are you afraid of death today? No. Nope. Zero. How is that and why is that? Um and what leaves you I don't think about death. I think about living. I think about, it's going to sound sort of hokey and cliche, but I'm going to squeeze every friggin' moment out of this day. And I'm just going to do it today and focus on today. And then tomorrow I'll do it again. And mm. I don't think about the other. I mean, I planned and, you sure. know, I'm a responsible business guy and father and all that stuff. But 
nah, I'm not thinking about death. Yeah. 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 All right. So I know as a person who it's first person to play professional sports after heart transplant, I know that you got back into professional sports. So how did, <laughs> how did that go? Was that a transition? Like how, how were you afterwards? Were you walk us through that? So, uh, yeah, you can imagine how popular I was with my mom, right? And it's interesting because it wasn't really a popular decision, right? Like, I'm going to... So the the guy who did the surgery for me back in England, uh, it was a team, but the head guy is named Sir Terence English, pioneer in heart transplants, blah, blah, blah. He said to me one super important thing. He said, Simon, the goal of heart transplantation for you is to resume the life you were living, to live the life you led before. So for me, that was it. That was the only bar. Yeah. Professional athlete before, I'm going to be a professional athlete after. So I returned back to Canada and I thought to myself, as long as I can just have a little quiet time and rehab on my own, I'll be fine. And uh, that's not how it worked out because I'd been adopted by the community and cameras and yeah. blah, 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 blah. That's how I came to Las Vegas. Okay. Yeah. Sitting at the kitchen table, looked around and I figured out I can't, I can't rehab and get fit here. I can't do it. Got little old ladies coming up to me in the street, handing me $5, saying, God bless you. I'm not exaggerating. (laughs) I'm not exaggerating. So I had to get out of there. So I came to Vegas and I got my amateur status back and I joined the UNLV soccer team and I drank beer and rehabbed in the sun and got fit again. There you go. Did you notice a decrease in your ability uh, with a new heart or? I had to play different for sure because I'd now had a pacemaker inside my body that limited the upside and downside of my cardiac capacity. Oh, okay. So that's... That's a real thing. So I had to think more. So it was saying like you can't get above a certain beats per minute. Was that the idea? Correct. Transplanted hearts generally can't get uh, as high as normally because there's no nerve connections. Interesting. Think about it, right? There's no nerve connection. So yeah. I have no nerve connection from my heart to my brain to the central nervous system. You do. Mm. So as an example, if I said to you, Brandon, we're going to walk outside here and we're going to sprint 400 yards. First yeah. of all, you die from the heat. Yeah. But let's say that, let's say that we're going to do that automatically your brain is telling your heart and it will speed up yeah. and it will start to go. Mine won't until I get adrenaline flowing. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I had to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you still became a professional player. Yeah. Even with that. Yeah. Were other players looking at you like, you don't deserve to be here in any way? Were they nervous of you? Did they not know? Uh, how did the other people take that? I don't know if I can speak for other people. I mean, sure. I think generally I know what the sense was. The sense is that the sense was when I came to UNLV, for sure, if I would go down, people would hold their breath just a half second longer. Mm. But when I played, I was a dick. <laughs> so so if they didn't yeah, pay they, attention, they would, it would be a problem. Yeah. 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 So tell me about your career then. I mean, like how long did you play for? What was that like? So I came out of UNLV. I actually got drafted number one overall in the country wow. in the pro leagues. So that helps because, no offense, but you're not yeah. a six-rounder in the, yeah. you know, 37th overall, right? Yeah. So in many ways, I was, you know, the best college player in the country. Yeah. And I played another four years after that. I played in, back in England, I played in the United States, and I played in Canada. My career ended before it ended, but I, my career ended because I was the heart guy. Mm. Doesn't matter, didn't matter how I played. I was the heart guy. Yeah. And the press were all over me everywhere I went. It reached a boiling point. I'd met my now wife. And I found myself, I was playing in Cleveland and we had three days off. And so all the guys scattered, but I was, by our PR team was sent to Milan, Italy to do an Italian talk show in Italian. And I don't speak Italian. I was gonna ask. And I'm sitting there, like I'm a soccer player, I'm an athlete, but what am I doing? And it had got so preposterous, the media and the nonsense. 
that I actually called my my now wife and I said, I think I'm going to be finished here soon. Wow. Yeah. What was that like, that transition from professional athlete to, because that's like for most athletes, that is their life. They don't have a necessarily a backup plan. They don't have investments. They don't have all this stuff. They, just, they were athlete. So what was that transition like to the non-athlete world? Yeah, I think it's, I think for, for 99% of the athletes in the world, you actually don't get to stand in front of the microphone and say, I'm retiring yeah, and yeah. have this wonderful yeah. statue built and all this. That's yeah. all nonsense, or right? do it like five times on Twitter and then come back every year. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's all sort of, so it was, you know, it was, you know, we came back here to Vegas and, and I sort of muddled around a couple of different jobs and finished my schooling. And then, and then I learned that entrepreneurship is a lot like athletics. Mm. It's competitive. You get highs. Generally speaking, the people that work the hardest win, yeah. or the the people yeah. who understand the system win. Yeah. Right? I mean, t- tell you right. Yeah. So it took me a little bit, but quickly I figured out. Within probably about a year and a half, I figured out I'm an entrepreneur. I like risk. I'm going to go out, and I did, and I built you know a number of businesses and sold them, and was successful, and had some liquidity events, and you know. Yeah, what kind of businesses did you? What'd you get into? I did all kinds of business. I started selling merchandise up and down the strip. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What so kind of merchandise. Oh, just like you name it. Yeah. You need a logo on it. I got it. Okay. And this was middle of the '90s, and I was thinking outside the box, and I found myself importing from overseas, and I, I was dumb enough or aggressive enough or competitive enough to go to China and drive five hours inland and find factories and, <laughs> you know, all that stuff, which was, which was early days for that kind of stuff. Yeah. But yeah, it was, you know, it was fun. Sam's, you know, Sam's town, old casino here. They would give out jackets for the month of November and they'd need, you know, 60,000 jackets or something. I'm your guy, man. I'm going, I'm going to China yeah. and I'm going to get the cheapest price. That's how I started. What I love about that is, you know, I, I tried to start a years ago, I started a sunglass business, a wooden sunglasses business. I yeah. thought it was super cool. Yeah. Uh, I still like wooden sunglasses, but I didn't like, I didn't have success in that. When I look back on what happened, there's a number of lessons I learned, but one of the biggest ones is I was not willing to go to China. Uh, and Oftentimes we say we want to do some business idea, some cool idea. We were really excited about it, but we're not willing to go to China or your, whatever that person's China is. We're yeah. not willing to go the extra step. 99% of the world will say they want to start a business and then not go to China for it. But you actually went there. You know, that's what, there's that book Shoe Night by... Uh, uh, was it Phil? Shoe Dog. Shoe Dog by oh, Phil Knight. Oh, great book right? by Phil Knight. Great yeah, book. Yeah, yep. Shoe Knight. Shoe, Shoe Dog, Phil Knight. Yeah. Yeah, and that like that was a, in that book, like him going overseas and knocking on doors, not speaking the language, like that's what made him successful. And so you did the same thing. It's fear, man. Right? Mm. People don't do it because of fear. That's exactly It's very right. simple. Yep. It's all about, and you know this. Yeah, it's, oh, 100%. It is 99% about fear. Yep. How do you overcome that? What do you advise? I don't overthink it. Just F and do it, right? Just don't, <laughs> just don't overthink it. That's literally the advice I gave my daughter yesterday, I think it was. My daughter, Rosie, she's seven years old. I was leaving because she had to go back home today, and we're in Vegas right now, but I did, she had to go back home today. And uh, she was like, I'm so you know sad that you're going to be staying here. I'm not going to see you, Daddy. She's in that phase, very like, yeah. wanting Daddy all the time. She still and likes Dad. She still likes me. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> That'll change. <laughs> and, and it's like this fear of like, what am I going to do without Dad? And I just kept telling her, just don't think about it. Just don't think about it. Just when it pops in your head, just don't think about it. And like, I don't think she understood what I meant, but that usually works for me is if I'm nervous about anything, I still get nervous about every podcast interview I do. Do you? I just, every time I'm like, what if I don't know the person? What if I don't get a good vibe? What if we don't have a good conversation? What if they think I'm dumb and stupid and ugly and they make fun of me and they call me fat? Like all those things go through my head. Oh yeah. I just tell myself, don't think about it. Yeah. 
Just yeah. Those are in everybody's head, by the way. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good. I'm not the only one. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Okay. So you said like, some liquidity events. What did you sell? What would that look like? Uh, so I had four businesses over 15 years and okay. I, and I sold them all and varying degrees of, you know, success. I had a, the sport, the, the merchandise business evolved into a sport business where we managed arenas on the, on the staffing side. So mm. that was kind of fun. Interesting. I had a sort of a financial business where we rolled up senior life insurance policies. Mm. Going to sound weird, but it's not. And we aggregated these policies and we rolled into, rolled, rolled them into a bond and we, you know, held them offshore in Ireland and took advantage of the tax advantages and sort of super highly complicated financial yeah. stuff. That being the fourth best soccer player in Victoria, British Columbia, didn't prepare me for. But, <laughs> you know, that's life too, right? Learning and growing. And yeah. that, that's the life of an entrepreneur as well, right? Yeah. And taking that step into the unknown and figuring it out. Yeah. I knew nothing about that industry. And I did it in over three years. And we aggregated almost a billion dollars of life, secondary life insurance policies. And it's really just actuarial work. Anyways, very boring. But yeah, cool stuff. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to get in. I want to ask you about the, because you said earlier that the average heart transplant only lasts eight years. You know, you've been alive a lot longer than that. So I want to get into what happened next. But before we do, I want to get to today's show sponsor. Uh, one thing we do for the show is every bit of ad revenue that comes from each episode go towards a charity of the guests choosing. So where shall we apply oh. all the ad revenue from this show? Well, yeah. Just to go ahead a little bit, sure. talk about legacy. You know, we started our own foundation. Okay, that's, that's the the, si the Simon Keith Foundation. Simon Keith Foundation. So our family started this about ten years ago, and we set it up to support kids who have undergone organ transplants mm. in their desire to be healthy and happy again. Oh, I love that. We just want we just go in and we help these families, and uh, you know, we also raise organ donor awareness, and you know, I travel the world and talk and blah 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 blah. But at the core, it's about helping that little seven year old girl who's scared to go play softball again or yeah. jump in the swimming pool or whatever it may be. That's so, beautiful. Yeah, man. yeah. Well, let me dig into a couple of questions on that. But first, let's roll the ad. This is going to be a short, short ad. It's for something else that's free and you really should know about it because it benefits you. Did you know I have a weekly text message newsletter where I send out my top real estate investing advice, books that I'm reading, and more? It is called Behind the Beard. Get it? Behind the Beard. And you can join by simply going to beardybrandon.com. That is beard with a Y, Brandon, beardebrandon.com. It's 100% free, and it's just a good way for me to stay connected with you. And now, back to the show. All right, man. So I want to talk about the foundation again real quick here uh, before we jump back into uh, the, your heart. Yeah. What does that look like on a, on a tactical, tangible level of helping like a kid who in that, in that spot? Is that, a, is that a therapy kind of a situation, buying them toy kind of situation? What does that look like? It can be, it can be just about anything. So okay. we started very loose. Again, we've been at it about 10 years now. And our idea was... Let's get 50 guys of my friends and we'll go play golf and we'll drink some beer and we'll raise 20 grand, yeah. right? And, yep. we'll, and we'll give it away. Yeah. And I find myself here 10 years later, we've raised tens of millions of dollars. Wow. Oh yeah, it's been super wow. cool. Yeah, yeah, it's been super cool. It's not about, it's not, got nothing to do with me, by the way. What's happened is, and we've got this one event that we do in Las Vegas, it's a massive golf tournament. And all these people, we have 300 people that come to the golf, that play golf, which is a massive golf tournament. And probably 250 of them come every year. So it's not really about us. It's yeah. about them. It's their mission. It's their thing. We've done all kinds of stuff. In 2018, we sent every single kid that wanted to go to the transplant games of either America or Canada to the games. We sponsored them all. And so that's big. That's operationalizing and yep. systemizing something. And then it's small. We bought a kid a drum set. 
mm. you know, and we sponsored another girl to in gymnastics or whatever. So yeah. we go we go big and we go small and we go systemized and we sort of have a mantra that we're, we're going to find a way to say yes. Mm. Yeah. I love that. What do most kids that go through that kind of transplant situation, what, what do they come out of that? Are they, are they pretty terrified of life? Are they pretty excited to be alive? Like what, what's their mentality if you had to like look the, at it as a whole? Yeah, I think it's, it's a continuum, right? They're human beings. So yeah. you have some very timid and very other ones that are very out there. The challenge that I encounter the most is twofold. One, the helicopter parent is on max alert now. Mm, yeah. So challenging the family to back off, treat them normal, mm. that's the real challenge. And then that dynamic spreads into the family. So you've got a sibling, if you've got two, you've got this little girl who's unlucky and had a heart transplant who gets all the attention. Yep. And then you've got the sibling over here who gets ignored. Yeah. So it's funny because my wife, after about a couple of years, we've, we've recognized this. And so we don't just take care of this. We also take care of this. That's, that's yeah, really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that being really difficult. I mean, I've thought like, you know, I've had friends who've gone through it, but I thought I got two kids, right? If, if Rosie got sick, like, how do you deal with, like, how does, yeah, how does Wilder deal with that? How do we deal with Wilder during it? And it, I mean. It's a real thing, by the yeah. way. Yeah. It's a real thing. Yeah. I mean, I'll walk into a hospital room and my role is to see this one. Yeah. And my wife instantly goes to this one. Yeah. And we don't bring one teddy bear, we bring two teddy bears. I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's small stuff, but it's yeah. really impactful. Mm. That's Anyways. a good lesson just for people when they're, yeah, who are well, listening to this, who are dealing with, you know, whether kids that are doing that, just to be aware of, uh, you can have a sickness and then you can have another problem developing at the same time That's with right. the other kid. That's yeah. right. So let's talk, getting into your heart again, uh, the eight year thing. I mean, it's been a lot longer than eight years. So what, do you still have the same heart? I don't. Okay, you got another transplant. I don't. In 2019... So how many years was that? 32. Why did it last 32 when it normally only lasts eight? Um, just you being healthy? I think if you ask anybody around me, they would say, because he's a stubborn asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I did my own thing. I mean, I was really, I really thought outside the box. I really challenged the medical community on the amount of meds we were taking. I made it a goal of mine to sweat every day. Mm. Because psychologically for me, I was sweating out all the toxin poisons that the medicines were yeah. inside me. I'm super competitive, you know, good yeah. luck, good genes, yeah. dumb luck. You know, it's, there's no silver bullet. Yeah. There's no, there's, I can't hand somebody a recipe and say, here's how you do it. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah, it worked. Yeah, it worked for 32 years yeah. and, then, and then it didn't. Yeah. And Did then you, it didn't. What was that like? Did you, was it just repeat of what happened the first time? Yeah. You started feeling just... Uh, yeah, my wife noticed and I started to struggle a little bit and uh, I had an additional complication because my kidney gave out, my kidneys gave out, which is normal for transplants because you're taking all these medicines mm, yeah. and so they tax the kidney. So I needed a heart and a kidney wow. and that was 2019. So just four years ago, again, super lucky to get it. I got this one in San Diego and you know, still here. let's go baby. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you, you said eventually you got to meet the family of the first donor, at least. I don't know if you met the second one, but can you walk us through, what was that like? I can. So I was very respectful for a long time, right? Don't meet the family, let them heal, let them mourn. And, and I started seeing on social media, all these families having these reunions and the, you know, the listening with the stethoscope yeah. and that's my daughter's hussar, da, da, da. And so I was actually penning my book and I wrote a book in 2011. What I saw in about 2008 was in 2011, it's gonna be 25 years after I have a heart transplant. And I don't know whose heart's inside my chest. Mm. And I wanted to go and find out, because I wanted to say thank you. 
And I wanted to say thank you to somebody who'd given me everything, everything, everything. My health, my wife, my kids, my money, my everything. Like everything, think about that, everything. So I traveled back to, I was writing a book. The, author, the co-author came with, I, was, I didn't write a book, by the way. I, I talked about a book and someone else wrote it. You, no judgment, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. And so anyways, he says, the only way we can finish this book is you got to go meet the family, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm like, yeah, let's go. So we go back to, it was actually, actually in Wales uh, where the young man died. The young man, I, again, I was 21 at the time. The young man was 17 when he passed away. Mm. It was a couple of days ago, July 7th of 1986. And he lived in a small town and he, it was Sunday night of the Wimbledon final and him and his mates decided it was too boring because it was Yvonne Lendl playing. You would, that may be too young. <laughs> Anyways. I was, I was uh, 11 months, yeah, three weeks old. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Fuck you. Um, <laughs> Sorry, there's something that came out of that. So anyways, um, him and his mates went down to the local park and played a little footy and kicked the ball around. And he had a brain aneurysm on, really? the, fe- on the field while playing soccer. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So who did you meet then of the family? Then years I later? met his dad and I met his best friend who did CPR on him mm. to keep the heart going. Wow. Think about that. Yeah. So his dad, his dad, Roger, who we become, of course, great friends, and we brought him over to our golf tournament, oh, and neat. you know, and his now partner, Jill. And uh, Roger is the dad, and he took us around, and he took us to, the guy's name was John, John Edward, and his last name is Grove. So, so he was known as John Edward. And so we went to John Edward's family home, and we went to where he went to school, and we went to the soccer field, of course, and we went to his final resting spot. And you want to talk about a moment in life, you know, you're standing at a gravesite with a tombstone with a date on it that is burned into your DNA because it's the day that you were saved and got a second life. And you're standing with the man who said, yes, I'm going to donate my dead son's heart. Yeah. Like what a moment. What a moment. Incredible moment. Can you talk about the, maybe the importance of being an organ donor? Like I'm assuming that's a... Uh... Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a real thing. And I, amongst many other things that I do, I do travel the world and promote organ donation and, and transplantation. My thing is, I don't actually care if it's yes or no. It's just make a decision mm. because God forbid something happens yeah. and you leave that decision to your next of kin mm. and they don't know. Yeah. And, and you're putting them in a position where they have to decide. Yeah. And if they make the wrong decision, what they have to live with. Yeah. So I, I always say, I don't care if it's a yes or no. Of course, yeah. I want it to be a yes. Sure. But just make a decision. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, are, what would be a reason against it? I mean, I'm not sure I've ever put it like on my ID or anything like that. I just never Nobody really thinks thought about it. You just don't think about yeah, it. Yeah, you don't think about you don't it. Think but about obviously, it. I'd be fine with it. I mean, it'd be, of course I want to do it. Like, yeah. I'll publicly say it here. Like, of course yeah. I want to do it. Yeah. Uh, but why would somebody not want to do it? Is it just lack of awareness? Yeah, there's lots of myths out there and lack of awareness. And I tell you what, if you need it, you're all, you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm in. I'm Wait, wait, wait. I didn't, I didn't mean that. I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. So I, Isn't I, that I yeah. fascinating. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, everyone's 100% in support of organ donation. When they, when they need one, the loved one needs one. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oof, wild, man. All yeah. right. So let's transition to your leadership stuff that you do today. What is it that you do today uh, and, and why? When I came back from that meeting in Wales in 2011, it was really an epiphany for me. Like standing in front of that grace site was a real epiphany for me. And until then, up until that date, 
it had been about the things that we generally think about and it's self-driven and it's ego and it's how do I make more money? How do I win? How do I secure everyone's future? How do I pay off the mortgage? All that stuff, right? And it's I, 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 I. Yeah. I've been watching you enough and I know you've had this epiphany and it's, it's like, I don't want to do that anymore. Mm. I'm good. I checked a lot of boxes. Yeah. I'm good. How do I do something different? So I came back to, from, from that trip and I made a conscious decision. I said to myself, I'm going to learn about organ donation and transplantation, the systems, how they work, how they don't work, how they can be better. And so I, I just went down a path and I started. And what's interesting about uh, organ donation in the United States is that there's these organizations, there's only 56 of them in the country, who are solely responsible for recovering organs, like doing the promotions and recovering the organs and getting them to the transplant centers. And so I called the guy here in Nevada and said, this is who I am. How can I help? And he instantly put me on his board of directors based on my entrepreneurial background. Yeah. And I learned quickly that Nevada was number 54 out of 56 in terms of effectiveness. Mm. And as a competitive athlete, that pissed me off. Oh, yeah. And so, and they were losing money and blah, 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 blah. Terrible organization. So it took me a year to figure out how it works. And I dropped everything. I just sold a, a company. So I was healthy financially. And I jumped in and I became first the CEO. And then I figured out quickly, I don't want to do that. I want to be the COO because I can do more work. Yep. And um, we turned that around and from 2013 to 2017, uh, 2019 for seven years in a row, we were the number one most productive company like itself, not only in the United States, but around the world. Wow. The what, best. What do, you, what do you do in that? Or what's, the, what's the, the key there? I looked at a community-based, medically-driven system through the lens of an entrepreneur. Can you walk us through, because I, I, I'm fascinated by this idea of applying entrepreneurial and business systems and processes and the stuff that we all know to a charity model. It's it's The two worlds have been apart for too long. Yep. I'm a big fan of it. So what does it take for a nonprofit to run? Like, What does what that secret sauce that entrepreneurs know? Well, I, th- I, I think that I don't think there's any secret. I mean, there, yes, there's secret sauce, right? It's a philosophical difference, right? And I like Dan Pelota too. I'm sure you know who Dan is. Dan's a very, a, a very important, sure. important speaker. And he talks really about this. Yep. If you're selling $10 worth of lemonade at a 90% profit, as opposed to you know, generating 8% profit on 175 million bucks. Like it's, and so this idea of entrepreneurship inside not-for-profits is well overdue. So I agree with you, but it's everything. I mean, it's everything. It's how you brand, it's how you market, it's how you think, it's how you interact with people. It's how you drive people. It's how you talk about profit and how to make profit in a Mm. not-for-profit, right? And for the first two years, when I sat inside one of these organizations and I talked about Let's make profit. Let's make yeah. money. Let's be profitable. It was, what are you talking about? Yeah. And compensating people at a level to br- attract talent yes. and not put up with who we've had the whole time. So within 24 months, there was 11 managers and directors in the leadership team. There was 10 were gone wow. after 24 months, which is difficult. Yep. But I wanted entrepreneurs in there. I wanted business yes. people. I wanted drivers. I wanted, yeah. And you got to so, pay for those people. You got to pay for them. But yeah. it's not a it's not an investment. I mean, it's not a cost. It's an investment, right? You get good people, totally, and they totally. make it worth it. I mean, it was a small business. We took from from eight million top line to 
58 million in six years or something like wow. that. How like, do they generate uh, revenue? Is it donation-based only? No, 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 no. It's a reimbursement model. So as an example, the federal government reimburses those type entities are called OPOs, Oregon Procurement Organizations. They reimburse, the federal government reimburses them sort of dollar for dollar for every time they attempt to recover an organ. Okay. So, and that includes, and there's this complicated algorithm, right? But it includes salaries and, and overhead and marketing and surgical teams and all, there's all this stuff goes into a bucket. Sure. And so from a, from a business model, it's actually not that difficult. From a pure accounting standpoint, it's, very, it's sort of very, very easy if you understand it. But you got to be aggressive and on growth mode all the time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, there's just so many little things that that like I know you know that we know. Like I mean, everything from like having a vision, like having goals for your organization, down to quarterly goals and weekly actions and accountability and all that stuff. Yeah. When I talk to like nonprofit people, they're like, "Wait, huh?" Or like churches, huh? Like anything in that world, they, charities are just generally clueless on that. You know, you bring in like uh, Patrick Lencioni's uh, table yeah, group. Exactly, yeah. And people are like, what are you talking about? Yeah. We're never going to spend $150,000 in this. What are you talking about? Yeah, uh, yeah we are. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we yeah, are. Yeah. Because you may have the, the smart part of the business working, but the healthy part is is terrible. Yep. So we need to fix the culture and we need to talk about yeah. Like decide on what the culture. Yeah, you. Yeah, I'm talk, I'm preaching the choir now, dude. I no, yeah, I yeah. love it because this is what this is what people need to hear. And I I actually am a huge believer in what you're doing, and to a smaller degree, maybe what I've done, which is let's take people who are good at business and then go work in the nonprofit section or sector. You know, not that I'm I'm not running a nonprofit per se, but more like the Better Life Tribe is a charity. 100 of all our money goes yep. to charity, right? Uh, right now to fight human trafficking, and so like we're running this thing as if. And I'm almost tricking myself. Like I don't take a salary. I don't make a dime from this. But I'm tricking myself to think like this is my business. And therefore, like we do everything that we do over at my real estate company, Opener Capital. So we've got rocks and we've got, you know, weekly meetings and we've got leadership and culture and we've got the whole thing. Yeah. And I just pretend that I'm building myself a business and we're going to get the $50 million a year is what we should be at in the next three years. Right now we're at a thousand members. Once we get the, you know, a thousand members or 10,000 members at $500 a month, which is what we'll be at is $60 million a year, top line, 10 million a year in expenses will be 50 million a year. In my head, I'm like, okay, that's half a billion dollar company at that point. I have not lost that yet. I still feel like I'm building a half billion dollar business. Like it's no different than open door capital in my head. Like they're both the competitive nature of me going out there. So if we can convince more people that are entrepreneurial driven to just apply that. Like once they got the money figured out, like what are you gonna do with 10 million that you can't do with 6 million? Okay, right. or 50 million that you can't do with 5 million, right? Right. Once you've got your financial thing figured out, let's teach these people how to apply that or let's encourage them to apply that over the nonprofit. I know you know the answer, but do you know how difficult it is to convert a board of directors of, no offense to any of these people, <laughs> hospital administrators, and community workers and governmental people mm. to convince them to hire a CEO oh. that makes seven hundred thousand yeah. dollars a year. You know how hard that when they're used to yeah. paying one hundred and twenty-five. Yep. Like it's it just takes it's just relentless. You know you got to convince them. Like you say, it's an investment. Yeah. And then you want to hire a COO that's really you know that's going to drive and and by the way. Forget about all the salary surveys. Yep. They don't mean anything. Yep. It's all nonsense. It doesn't. Ma I, I don't. I'm not interested in anybody who wants a four percent raise every year. Not yeah, interested. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, if you're wearing khaki pants and an navy blazer, we probably don't have a lot in common. Mm. No offense. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, that's just a, that's symbolism, right? Like, you know what I mean? Agree. Like, yeah. So do you? Do you? And this is just a personal question, but I think it applies to more people. Do you compensate 
Can you, like, do you have bonus structure in place for the people that run the, the nonprofit stuff so that they can make more and more and more money? 100%. All right, yeah. 100%. So I don't have that yet on the Better Life side, but I would love if Matt and Alex and Stetson start bringing in more. In, like, I want them to make a ton of money on this. Right, Alex? I'm listening. <laughs> Alex is by the way, listen. by the way, you do, he does, yeah. everybody does. Yeah. If you can align yeah. profitability all the way through the enterprise, yep. That's that, everybody wins. Yes. Oh my! I can't tell you how many times I've had this conversation. I'm working with another OPO, another one of these organizations that is, let's just say it, it's going to grow. Yep. Let's just put it that way. And there's no bonuses in there. Mm. And I'm dealing with the same thing with the yep. board of directors. I got to convince them. Yeah. And so what I did intentionally was I made them. I demanded they put bonuses in my agreement, mm. not because I need the money. Yeah. Because I want them to understand the philosophical yep. motivation. Yeah. yeah, that's really good, man. All right, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna work on that. And there is a little bit of a like you're. I'm gonna have to deal with that if if we put bonus structure in place. And like I, I mean, I won't take any necessarily because I I, mean, I get I'm, I'll make plenty yeah. of money from Orbiter Capital, but like, and I don't run things anyway. Like I show up and do a podcast. Like, but the team who's running this company, like they need to be a rewarded for when things grow, and B, I need to make sure they're not buying duplexes and cleaning toilets at night because they can't pay their bills. Like I need them, their path to growth, at least a major piece of their financial thing is it's through this nonprofit. And so it is an investment in their focus and in their attention and all that so that they can yeah be all in. And the naysayers are going to say, yeah, and you're going to have naysayers yep, and you're also, you're going to have people take advantage of you too, which sure. is fine. And you're going to have people that manipulate the system. That's all fine. They're <laughs> all going to see themselves out at some point. They're sure. going to self-select out at some mm-hmm. point. Right, and me and you, we look for the guys who are, excuse my, fucking all in. Yeah, we want those guys. Yeah, yeah, and that's I, exactly you it. clearly surround yourself with those guys. Yeah, it's it's a, uh, it, it's huge. And what I've been, what I plan to do, and I do, and we're working on the actual structure. But what I'm gonna do with these guys is the kind of the leadership at Better Life is give them equity in a because they also want to build wealth, right? Which is good for them. We're all big about building wealth. They get bonus structure, but I'm gonna build equity in another company that I'm establishing that all of my other businesses, I got a mortgage company coming, a real estate agency, I got a title company, all this stuff is gonna be in this company X. And then I'll be able to give equity on a vesting sort of schedule in company X to the Better Life Tribe Does company X in on top sort of thing? Yeah, the company X will kind of be the- The holding company? Holding company of all the sub-companies, not including the, like I won't put the charity obviously in that because that's not owned by anybody. But the- the rest of it will be on there. So that way, because it, I mean, in a way, yes, this is a this is for the charity. This podcast is for the charity. But I know that there are people listening to this right now who are going to go invest in my uh, real estate company. There are people listening to this that are then therefore going to use my mortgage company. So I want to make sure that these guys get compensated right. somehow for for the bigger picture. Yeah. So that's what one thing I'm working on. But then bonuses within the charity itself, based on performance, I think is a no brainer. Yeah, 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 totally agree. Yeah, and totally I'm okay. Agree. I'm okay to be taking nothing because I don't need it, and I've got a weird yeah competition uh, thing anyway, where I just got to I got to build it. I'm with you, bro. Uh, I'm with you. Just, I'm with you, dude. It's a lot of fun. All right. Uh, that last thing I want to get before we get to kind of the, we've got a few more segments coming up here. Order of Canada, that's the phrase here. The Order of Canada, one of Canada's highest honors. What the heck is that and how'd you get it? Yeah, it's a, it's caught me by surprise. Big deal. It's basically the Congressional Medal of Honor. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing, right? I don't know. It was applied <laughs> to, it was applied for anonymously by somebody. Wow. So probably one of my drunk Canadians at the golf tournament, yeah. right? Um, but it's, yeah, it's uh, it's an incredible honor. Uh, my, my dad passed away in 2018. I told you about the story about his, him emigra- emigrating. I was actually, I got a phone call. I was in Abu Dhabi because I do a lot of uh, consulting in overseas. I was over in the Middle East doing some consulting over there. And I got a call from the governor general's office in, in Ottawa. 
and it was a voice message. They said, this is X. Can you call it? And I'm like, I don't pay taxes in Canada anymore. So I haven't skirted. Anyways. So they called me and I was sitting on a beach with my wife of, you know, of 35 years and we done, we've done this together and they told me, and I just couldn't believe it. I was like, for that man to get on the boat at that age with no money, with three kids to mm. build a better life for his kids, I would say that he succeeded based on that singular phone call. Yeah. Super cool. Super cool, man. Yeah. So do they give you your own horse and like red outfit to yeah, ride Yeah, 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 yeah. If you guys need anything in Canada, let me know. No. Do you get like milk in a bag if that's yeah, the yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, and poutine, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Uh, there's a, uh, yeah, that's funny. Uh, there's a Canadian uh, food truck in Maui called How's It A? So it's like, how's it is a very Hawaiian term for how's it going? And yeah. How's it? And then A, how's it A? I love it. And they got all the good canadian stuff and jokes in it <laughs> yeah no stuff. it's cool it's definitely cool yeah, yeah. well congratulations on that thank that's you very, that's thank very you neat. that probably opens up a lot of doors as well in terms of uh yeah making an impact so very yeah. cool man yeah. all right next segment of the show i lovingly refer to as for the gram this is it. a fill in the blank section uh and i'm going to give you a few phrases and you can fill in the blank and kind of restate the, the thoughts we can make viral videos that'll <laughs> reach billions all right the first one the best leaders are blank not blank the best leaders are authentic. Mm. Mm. Do you have any uh, history in that? I do, actually. Yeah, yeah. I do, yeah, yeah. Have you been both sides of that? Um, or have you been pretty good? No, I think, I think people would say that you get what you see what you get. You get what you see with me, yeah. Mm. But I, I had an experience with well, somebody that I'd hired in my company, and he was a CEO, and, um, and he had one catchphrase when he met people, and it was, how's your family? Mm. And he didn't pay attention to the answer, and he didn't know about their family, but he used that all the time. Mm. And so eventually people found out and figured out that he doesn't actually know that I have three children and yeah. my middle one, da, da, da. And it was not authentic. Yeah. And you get found out. You get found out. Yeah. On that note, next one, the secret to hiring is blank. The secret to hiring is culture. Explain that if you would. You can teach skills. You can teach skills. If you get the right cultural fit, of that human, that's that's the key. That's the key. It's a human play. Thousand percent agreed. Yeah. Thousand percent. Uh, let's see. Having been close to death, I'll never take blank for granted again. You can say pass. It. Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, it's been. Yeah, I yeah. It, which you think this would be a layup for a guy like me, right? <laughs> but yeah, I don't. Yeah, I just. Uh, I don't take anything for granted. I get up and yeah. hustle. Yeah. yeah. All right. Sorry. Last, that's all right, man. Last one here of this sex, uh, section. If I lost all my wealth and money today and had to start over, I would. If I lost all my money and wealth today and had to start over, I would pick the exact same partner I have in my life because that is the, the key to success. Mm, explain that. Picking your life partner is in many ways can be the number one factor of your success. And I know it has been for me. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about her. She's incredible. What's She's, her name? Her name's Kelly. Kelly. Call her Kel. Kel is wise beyond her years, and she taught me very early on that marriage is generational. And if you start to look at marriage in short-term gaps, you're probably looking at it wrong. Mm -hmm. And so, like any relationships, we've had good times and bad times and very difficult times and really great times. But I always knew that she was the one I was going to stay with for. 50, 60, 70 years. So it didn't matter that we argued Friday. It didn't matter. You know, it's a bit like 
long-term wealth strategy, right? And investing for the long-term, right? Sometimes it's going to be, you're going to be in a market that drives 7% interest rates. And sometimes you're going to be at 0.05. And if you're smart, you can win in all of them all the way through because it's about long-term. So she's an incredible, incredible woman. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. What are your kids' names? Sarah, Sam, and Sean. All right. What do you love about Sarah? Oh, she's so creative and she's so genuinely kind and loving to people. Mm. What about Sam? Sam's me in a dress. So she's a, <laughs> she's a pain in the ass. <laughs> and by the way, she has every single penny she's ever made. Mm, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And what about Sean? He's a kind gentleman who could be 68 in a 26-year-old body. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Great I love kids. it. I love a good family, man. Yeah. I love it. All right, man. Next segment we call past, present, future. Okay. We're going to ask a question about the past, then one about the present, then one about the future. Okay. Shocking, right? Yeah. Uh, past question is, what advice do you have for your younger self? Easy. Think bigger. Why is that the advice you'd give yourself? Because I grew up in the household that I did, and I was the runt and the smallest, and I didn't think outside of that and just think bigger. And I learned it later on in life, right? Mm. Like you've learned it obviously early on in your life, right? Not early enough. Think bigger. Yeah, think bigger. Think bigger. Whatever it is, think bigger. It's mm, amazing. Uh, you know, quick, quick story on that. I'll tell you just, I think it's a, maybe a tangible example of somebody I look up to that did that. And I won't give exact specific numbers, but when I started at Bigger Pockets, which was, a, you know, the company I was yep. with for a decade, it was only Josh Dorkin. He was the founder. Josh was the founder and he was the only guy. And after a year and a half or so, Josh had been telling me he was going to give me equity in the company. And he finally did. And it was a lot less than what most people thought I deserved because they, they all saw me and Josh as equal. Like, oh, yeah, they started it together, which we didn't. Josh was doing it for five years by himself or maybe more. But it was, it was less than most people would expect. At the time, my initial gut reaction was, well, yeah, that's not, a lot of, that's not a lot of equity. But the thing is, is Josh never saw Bigger Pockets as a million-dollar company. A few percent of a million dollars is not a lot of money. A few percent of a billion dollars is a lot of money. Yeah. Josh just thought bigger than anybody else that I knew. Now, when I started uh, originally Open Door Capital, I was like, you get a third, you get a third, I get a third. I had two partners. And so we all just third, third, third. Why? Because I saw myself as a million dollar company. Now that has changed and altered, but yeah. I, I own less than half of my company today. And we're going to make a billion dollars. Like oh. we're on track to make a billion dollars. And like, I'm, I'm like, I didn't think big enough. Yeah. Like, had yeah. I thought this was a billion-dollar company, so now when I'm building Better Life, I'm like, no, we're going to give away $50 million a year to start with. Like, oh. that's our... So now, I'm like, now, is that big enough? I don't know. But now I can base equity off of... Yeah, so basically, the equity you give and the percentage you give a partner or employees is a direct or inverse correlation to how right. big you think that yep. business is going to be. Yeah, totally how big agree. you think. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. All right, there we go. So uh, big thanks to Josh Dorkin for the equity. I am very wealthy because of bigger <laughs> pockets. So thank you. Next question, the present question. What is something you've recently done in your life that's made your life better? I turned the switch back on. I had, I had been coasting for five years or so. Mm. And, you know, it happens, right? Your liquidity and you're fine and you're healthy yeah. and everything's fine. I turned the switch back on and I am more engaged in my different business projects than I've been in a long time. Oh, that's really good. What, what made that switch happen? I don't know. I don't think there was a singular event. I think I just, I think COVID made me restless. Mm. And I'm a big believer that business is done eyeball to eyeball. Yeah. I'm a big believer in that. And so I love virtual 
meetings and Zoom and they're all efficient and all that kind of stuff. But I think if you really, really want to make connection with, with humans, you got to look them in the eyeballs. Yeah, I 1000% agree. Yeah. Uh, third question, you kind of answered this earlier, but maybe you got a way to kind of wrap it up with this. What do you want your legacy to be? Yeah, for sure. I've thought about this and strategically and methodically crafted it. What's interesting about legacy is, you know, clearly the Simon Keith Foundation yeah. is, is a legacy play. But what I learned was not unlike other people, when you brand yourself as something, this foundation is my name, it's ego driven. Mm. Make no, no, make no <laughs> bones about it, right? That's what I thought. Mm. I thought it was ego driven. And what I learned very quickly within 24 months that it's got nothing to do with me. Mm. And what I thought I was elevating myself has really elevated others, yeah. right? And it's really, really humbling. And so I say it every chance I get, it's not about me, like it's not. And it's true. And you get this philanthropic bug, which I know now you've caught, yeah. and it just feels incredible. Like yeah. there's, and there's no, as much as we win in business and we've all made a lot of money and everyone's wealthy, not everyone, but you know what I mean? Like there's nothing, none of that compares when you see that little girl smile because yeah. she's now allowed to play on the soccer team. Mm. Like, ugh. Well, maybe we could expand a little bit before I get to the last kind of the wrap it up section. Do you have any just advice just on a personal, between you and I, like you've been in the philanthropic, am I saying that word yeah, right? that's right. Space for a lot longer than I have. Uh, what advice do you have to a younger, not that young anymore, but younger guy <laughs> trying to get into that world? What has worked? What hasn't worked? Uh, feel free to riff on that. Yeah, I think, again, I, I didn't realize I should think bigger, right? I said it before, right? Yeah. We're going to get 10 or 20, 30 guys and raise 20 grand. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden we're raising millions a year. I think you're, you know, not you personally, but... The quicker you can check your ego and understand it's absolutely not about you, the more successful you'd be. Mm. And you'd be amazed at how many people just want you to ask them. They just want you to ask, mm. will you do X? Will you help me? Will you give me? Will you support me? Will you? And it's amazing. And I'm telling you, it's not just this community, it's everywhere. If you are respectful and you go ask somebody, 99.9%, and I mean it, 99.9% will say yes. I'm really, really bad at that, man. I'm like, I, I don't know why, but I have a hard time. I, well, I know why. I don't like being rejected. Uh, so I never ask, I hardly ever ask for help. I mean, I'm running a charity that's going to save hopefully millions of lives or at least tens of thousands of lives. And like, I have friends who are like the biggest YouTube consultants in the world and the biggest ad consultants and the biggest, like they... They are the best of the best at what they do. And I never call them for advice. I never ask for help. Yeah. How, yeah. How do I get over that? <laughs> well, it's the same thing, right? It's the same. I don't know. I can't say. Yeah. I can tell you what, 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 yeah. what I feel, right? It's for me. And I don't, I know you and I've seen you online. I've been a big, big fan, but I don't know your intimate backstory. Yeah. But for me, I'm, I'm just still that little kid in the back of the room and I'm not worthy. Mm -hmm. I'm not worthy of their attention yeah. and fear and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And what I've learned is that if it comes from a place of love and authentic, genuine goodness, it doesn't matter. Just be authentic, right? Just like, I don't even know how to ask for help. Can, yeah. can you help me? Yeah. You know, and people want to be, people want to come. Just, just gather them as you go, you know? Yeah. Just gather them. Give them a give them a hat. Now you're part of the team. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. <laughs> give, give them a hat. Give Alex, a... we need hats. I, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. You know, we now, we have these gift boxes and it's, and it's a picture of me, ego, not really. Yeah. <laughs> it's a picture of me with two llamas 
right? Because because that's our thing on our golf in our golf tournament. Okay. And it's a gift box, and these show up at people's houses, mm. and they mm. open them, and there's a polo and a shirt and a thing and a thing, and there's no ask, there's no money, please send it, none of that. It's just thanks for thanks. That's yeah. it. Just thanks. Beautiful. And guess what happens? They want help. Then they write a check. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't care if they do. I honestly, yeah. it's not like a manipulative thing. Yeah. But they just do. That's just the law of reciprocity. People want to give back when they're giving yeah, to. That's yeah, right. That's, that's right. Beautiful. Yeah. All right, man. Two more questions, and uh, we'll get out of here. Now, get out of here. I can't talk today. <laughs> two more questions. We'll get out of here. What are you excited about right now? What's firing you up right now? I think that one of my private ventures has the chance to revolutionize organ donation and transplantation. Oh, cool. Yeah, super cool. Big, chunky, global, interesting. Wow. Yeah, it's enough. That's all I'm going to say, but yeah. Okay. But I'm excited about everything else. And you can tell, yeah. you can yeah. tell I'm excited. You're excited, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, you said earlier you got re-engaged. I can tell. I mean, I didn't know you before, but yeah, you are, uh, you're fired up, man. I love yeah, it. Yeah, totally engaged. All right, last question. Where can people find you online or in the world? How can they connect and learn more about you? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the SimonKeithFoundation.com, of course. Okay. So www.thesimonkeithfoundation. I'm on I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. That's that's really it. I, you know, I'm a I'm an old white guy, so <laughs> that's about my scope. All right, man. Well, <laughs> we should have linked to all that in the show notes, dude. Thank you for coming on to this. Oh this man, amazing. this has been great. I appreciate you. Thank appreciate you for you, all you do. You. Love it. And that is the show. Thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of A Better Life with Brandon Turner. I hope you enjoyed the insights and the wisdom uh, brought to you today on this show. If you found value in this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, your feedback actually does help us improve the show. We look at the feedback, I look at the feedback, and we can reach more people with our message of living a better life. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Follow me on social, Beardy Brandon. And hey, before I go, this show is all about the habits, actions, and beliefs that can give you a better life. But in case you're interested and you want to know my opinion on what it takes to live the best life ever, and that includes some of my kind of weird spiritual beliefs maybe, check out abetterlife.com slash bestlife. Abetterlife.com slash bestlife. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you next time on A Better Life with Brandon Turner.